Well, hey, welcome to the First Church. So glad you guys are here. My mic wasn't on there for a second. But we are a church that meets in multiple locations. So right now we have family joining us from our Stone Canyon campus, as well as others who are joining us online. So if you would take a moment, welcome them into our time of service here today. We're in a study right now called Level Up, and we're looking at God's design for marriage because we want our marriages, and for that matter, all of our relationships, to be exactly what God designed them to be. And when we started this series a few weeks ago, I pulled out this bag of Legos, and if you will remember, I asked, if I were to hand you this bag of Legos and say, in this bag are all the pieces you need to build a certain and specific vehicle from a well-known movie, but I didn't give you a picture of the vehicle, I didn't give you the instructions, I didn't even tell you what the vehicle was, could you build it? Now, like I said in that sermon, we have a lot of smart people in our church, so probably you could build something, but I doubt if you would build exactly what these pieces were intended to be. And the reason why I brought that up is because, just because you have all the right pieces, doesn't mean that you're able to build what something was intended to be if you don't have the right picture in mind. And so what these pieces were intended to be was an X-wing fighter from the movie Star Wars. I've got a picture of what it looks like. It's put together, some of our staff members put together. Now I gave them the instructions so they were able to do it right. But if you don't have the right picture, that's hard to build, that's hard to do. And some of us, well, we've been kind of at a disadvantage because we were given either the wrong picture of marriage or maybe no picture whatsoever, and we've been trying to build something without seeing God's design for it. See, what we need to understand is that marriage, it's God's idea. He designed it, and if we wanna do it right, we have to do it his way. It's kind of like if I asked you to make for me my favorite dessert. Now, I don't eat sweets anymore. I stopped eating sweets a couple years ago, but I really don't eat any sweets. But if I were to fall off the wagon, my go-to dessert would be derby pie. I mentioned this several months ago. That was my favorite dessert in all the world. My mom makes the best derby pie in the world. You guys had never heard of it when I brought it up a while back, but it's great. And since that time, my wife, Allison, I had the chance to make derby pie for some of our staff members, different people in our church, and everybody who tastes is like, yeah, we understand why that's your favorite. But what if I asked you to make me a derby pie, and I gave you all the right ingredients, which by the way, I have up here on the stage with me. And so I gave you uh, sugar and pecans and flour, vanilla and chocolate chips, even got eggs up here and butter and a pie crust. What if I gave you all these ingredients and said, go at it, make me a derby pie. Now again, we've got some pretty good cooks in our church, so probably you could make something with all of this, but I doubt if you would make a derby pie as it's supposed to taste and look. And yet sometimes that's how we have approached marriage. We don't have the original picture that God designed marriage to be in mind, and so we're trying to put together something without a recipe, without instructions, without the right design in mind. And so what we're doing here at First Church is we're looking at God's original design, hoping that we can have the healthiest marriages possible. Because like I said, marriage is God's idea. So therefore, he's the only expert in marriage. He's the only one that knows how to make marriage work right. And he created marriage. He established marriage at the very beginning of creation. Before sin ever entered our world, God established marriage. In fact, before he ever established a government system, a kingdom, a monarchy, even a law, God established marriage. And what that means for us is that marriage is important. Marriage is at the foundation of human civilization. And God intended marriage for our good, not just for the good of those who actually get married, but also for the good of society, for the good of culture. And that's what we've been stating over and over again in this series. 
that these messages are for everyone. It doesn't matter if you are single, divorced, married, engaged, widowed, whatever your marital relational status may be right now, there is something for you in this series because understanding God's design for marriage is extremely important. Because when you do understand God's design for marriage, when a church understands it, then through our marriages, we display God's love, his character to the culture around us. And also, understanding God's design for marriage helps and supports all other relationships we have in life. Understanding God's picture for marriage will not only help our existing marriages here in this church, it will also help future marriages, and it will help us as a church shape the culture around us. But even with that said... And I've acknowledged this before. I know that a series like this makes some people feel a little uncomfortable, maybe a lot uncomfortable. Because our aim in this series is not to shame or isolate or guilt anyone because of their current marital status. But yet, that is sometimes what happens when people hear a series like this in church on marriage. So I just want to let you know once again, your value Your self-worth, your meaning in life is not based on your marital status, but it is based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. The only way to live a complete life, a full life, a whole life, is by living in relationship with Him regardless of your marital status. So our goal, our aim in this series is not to make anybody feel uncomfortable. It's not to isolate anyone. It's not to exclude anyone. It's not to shame anyone. Our goal is simply to present God's design for marriage from His Word. So if you're single right now and you're planning on getting married one day, My hope is that by the time you uh, finish this series, that you will be more prepared to get married than ever before. And even if you're single and you don't want to get married right now, maybe being married is not even on your radar. That's okay if that's the state of life that you're in. Uh, If you don't even want to get married ever, I hope that this series will still help you bring encouragement and support to those you know who are married. But if you are married right now in our church, our goal is that you will use what is taught here, that God will use it, to transform your marriage to be more than what it's been in the past, to be all that he designed it to be. Because I just want to let you know my heart. My heart is that in a world where marriages and families are falling apart by the day, and for those who aren't falling apart, many of them are barely surviving on life support. My heart is for First Church to be a church with the strongest marriages anywhere. My heart is for First Church to be a church with the strongest marriages anywhere, Because when that is the case, God's love will be on display in such a powerful way through our marriages, through our families, that we will change and shape the culture around us. But in order for that to happen, we've got to have the right picture of marriage. And so that's what we're talking about. And as we look at God's design for marriage in the series, we're going to look at another key biblical truth that I think we all need to understand. It's a simple biblical truth, kind of elementary, but it's one we often forget. And it's this, it takes work for a marriage to work. Now, I know that's simple, and I know that's not hard to understand, but like I said, it's something, myself included, it's something we all forget. It takes work for a marriage to work. Like anything of value, marriage takes work. Now, we understand this in other areas of life. I mean, in what other area of life would you say, you know, 
I'm just not going to try anymore. I'm just going to coast. I'm just going to remove myself and become complacent. I'm just going to check out, stop working at it, and I'm going to expect everything still to work out like I want it to. We wouldn't act like that when it comes to any other area of life. I mean, who of you would say, uh, you know, I don't feel like working out anymore, exercising anymore. I don't feel like eating right, eating healthy, but I want to be in shape. I want my body to be fit, and I expect that to happen even though I'm not going to work out or exercise or eat right anymore. None of us would say that. We might hope that that would happen, but none of us would ever think that that's really going to happen because we know to be in shape, to be fit, it requires some effort. It requires work. I mean, what would if we said, you know, I just don't feel like showing up to my job anymore. I just don't feel like going to work anymore, but I still want to get paid. So I still want my company to pay me. None of us would expect that to happen. And yet sometimes that's how we treat marriage. I mean, would we ever say, uh, I'm just not feeling the kids anymore, you know? I'm just not feeling the kids. They can be little brats sometimes. They can get on my nerves. They can ask the question why like a thousand times a day. I'm just not feeling the kids right now. So I'm just going to give them up and let somebody else take care of them. Let somebody else raise them. Then I'll come back and see them when, when they're adults. So none of us would ever do that. I would hope not. None of us would ever say that. We know raising children requires work and effort. If you're a small business owner, you would never say, you know, I'm not going to apply myself anymore to my work and business. I'm I'm just going to hope that everything turns out for the best and I'm not going to put in any effort or any work. None of us would do that. In what area of life that has any value at all would you say, I'm just not feeling anymore. I'm just going to become complacent and I hope everything works out for the best. None. And yet for some reason, that's how many of us approach and treat marriage. I mean, how many times have you heard someone say, don't raise your hand or don't shout it out, but how many times have you heard somebody say, we just fell out of love, or I just fell out of love? I've heard that a lot throughout my life, and I think we hear that a lot in our culture because there's this underlying assumption that says love is primarily a feeling. There's this underlying assumption that love is primarily a feeling that we can fall in and out of. And here's the thing, the Bible teaches something very different. This is completely counterculture to what we hear every single day, but it's what the Bible teaches. See, God's Word teaches that love isn't primarily a feeling, but it's a decision of the will. In other words, love is a choice we make. But we've been culturally conditioned to see love Primarily as a feeling. I mean, we've all probably said before, I've said it, I fell in love or we fell in love. And there's nothing wrong with that statement if you mean it the right way. But what does that statement mean exactly when some people say it? See, the idea of falling in love, like I said, I've said it before, it almost makes love sound accidental. Like it's unintentional. Like it's something that just happened, that was out of our control. We had no choice in the matter. We just fell in love. The problem with that is just as easy as you fall in love, you can fall out of love. Or for that matter, you can fall in love with someone else that you're not married to. How many times have we heard people say, hey, I just started loving that person. Didn't mean for it to happen. It just happened like it's accidental, like it's out of our control. And we start to believe and think that when feelings are gone, then love is gone. And then when feelings show up for someone else, that must be love. 
Because we've been culturally conditioned to think that love is primarily a feeling. I just can't help it that I had the affair. I just can't help it that I stopped loving my wife out of my control. Because I'm not feeling it anymore. Maybe I'm feeling something different than I used to. But that's not at all what the Bible teaches. Over and over and over again, when the Bible talks about love, especially the love that is to exist between a husband and a wife, the word love is used as a verb. It's a command. It's an imperative that we are instructed to carry out and obey. Let me give you an example of that. Ephesians chapter 5 is one of the well-known passages in the New Testament that talks about the relationship that a husband and wife should have with one another. And we're going to look at this in a little greater detail here in a second, but let me just look at verse 25 with you for a moment. In verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Notice what Paul does not say. He doesn't say, Husbands, love your wives when you feel like it. Love your wives when things are going well. Love your wives when she loves you back. He just gives a command. Husbands, love your wives. In other words, husbands, if you're not loving your wife right now, start loving her. If you already are loving your wife right now, keep loving her. It's a command he gives us to carry out. And then he goes on to say, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Let me tell you something. How does Christ love us? Or just think about it. How does Christ love us? He loves us even when we don't deserve it. He gives us grace even when we don't deserve it. He serves us when he's the one that deserves to be served. That's how Christ loves us, right? And Paul says, love your wives as Christ loves the church. In the Old Testament, Proverbs 5 verse 18 says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Again, that word rejoice is a command. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. In other words, Keep loving the wife of your youth. Keep loving her. Even when she gets older. Even when she starts to look a little different. Even when her body changes. Even when you're going through rough times. Choose to rejoice in the wife of your youth. Because that's who God has joined you with. Love is a choice we make. Now, that's not to say that feelings aren't important or that feelings are absent from love, but feelings aren't first. Feelings don't drive the ship of our marriage or our relationships. I know a quote that a lot of my friends use when they do marriage ceremonies or wedding ceremonies is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I love this quote, and he says, it is not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, the marriage that sustains your love. And I know why a lot of my friends use that quote in wedding ceremonies, because you see the difference here? It's true. Love isn't primarily a feeling, but it's a choice, a commitment that we make. And that commitment requires something. It requires intentional pursuit. Now, throughout this series, we've been going back to the Genesis account, the creation account, looking at the very first marriage that God established before sin ever messed everything up to look at God's original design. And one verse that we looked at over and over again in Genesis chapter 2 is verse 24, when it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become 
one flesh. And I really want to look at that word united. The old King James says cleave. But that word united is a powerful and it's a rich Hebrew word that has different layers of meaning. It's the Hebrew word debak. And it literally means to stick to, to cling to. And that's the idea of continuing to stick to, continuing to cling to. But then look at another way that this word can be translated. To pursue. It's the idea that a husband and wife will continue to pursue one another so that nothing can split them apart. So that nothing will be able to unglue them. They will continue to pursue one another, stick with one another, cling to one another so that nothing will be able to pull them apart. Now, we all know that intentional pursuit is necessary for dating. I mean, we get that. But for some reason, that doesn't always carry over when it comes to marriage. I mean, let me just see with a show of hands. How many of you guys did something crazy or out of your comfort zone when you were dating or to impress somebody or to pursue them or get to know them better? How many of you guys did something crazy for someone else when you were dating? Let me see a show of hands. You guys are liars. Come on. I know you did. I know you did stuff that you wouldn't normally do. Let me, let, come on, let's be honest. How many of you guys did something crazy when you were dating? Anybody did something? I did? Okay, a lot more hands went up. I did. I did a lot of stuff that I wouldn't normally normally do uh, because when I when I realized that I had uh, that I had something special with Allison I did a lot of stuff to try to impress her to try to win her over and to try to get to know her better and every time I walk through my house and I see this it always reminds me of some of those crazy things that I did. Now, some of the things I did, I'm not going to share with you, but this is one thing I can share with you. This is a, a picture, and it's pottery. It's called Bybee pottery. It's a certain pottery that's made in Bybee, Kentucky. You may never heard of it if you're not from Kentucky, but it's kind of well-known for a while. There was one family that for over 100 years made this certain type of pottery. They stopped now, and so now it's kind of rare, but uh, when we were in college, that family was still producing this pottery. And like my mom had some, Allison's mom had some, some of her friends had some, and her favorite color, Allison's favorite color is purple and so she made the comment one day she would love to have some purple bybee pottery now here's the thing that family that made this pottery they only put out new pottery one day a week and they opened their store their little shop which is really a shack in bybee kentucky they opened it up at 5 a.m and i kid you not people would get there like at 3 a.m to wait in line to get the new pottery that they would put out so i found all this out you know what i did i was a college student i was home for the summer but i had a part-time job and i was taking a summer class and yet i got up at 2 a.m to drive to Bybee, Kentucky, to wait in line at this little shack with all these older ladies who wanted pottery too. And we were in line to wait for this store to open up at 5 a.m. And sure enough, when they opened at 5 a.m., it was like a free-for-all. I mean, it was crazy. These people snatching pottery. And I was able to grab Allison some purple Bybee pottery. This picture of me, one of the pieces that I grabbed for her. And I did all that for her because I wanted to impress her. I did something crazy. And now, you know where this picture sits? On a shelf in our garage. I kid you not. And every time I pass by, I think, I got up at 2 a.m. and did all that, fought all the old ladies, you know, to try to get this. That's nuts. But you do stuff like that when you're dating somebody. And I'm sure you guys probably did something similar when you were dating to try to impress somebody. But then once you get married, it's kind of like that continued pursuit just dies off for some reason or another. I'm not sure why. It just happens. Maybe we get comfortable. Maybe we, we get complacent. I don't know. But for those of you right now who are married and you're saying to yourself, I just don't feel it anymore, could it be that that's because some time ago you stopped pursuing your spouse? 
Remember what I said earlier. It takes work for a marriage to work. And it's so easy to become complacent in a relationship. And complacency is the enemy of any marriage, of any relationship. And sometimes even I need to be reminded of that. When Alice and I first got married, we kind of made this commitment to one another that we were going to regularly date, go on dates, even though we were married, because we didn't want to lose that. And so we did for a long period of time. Weekly, we would go on a date together. But then, you know, life happens, and, you know, you get busy with your jobs and friendships and all sorts of stuff, and then you start having kids, and just more and more stuff happens, and we kind of got away from that. We'd still go on occasional dates, but it wasn't regular, it wasn't consistent like it should be. And we realized that, and we said, you know, now that we've got kids and all this other stuff going on, we need to make sure we carve out time for one another. And so we started to do that, and then we moved to Oklahoma. And I'm just going to be honest with you, transparent with you, because that's the type of guy I am. I don't stand up here and try to act like I've got it all figured out or I've got my life all together. I stand up here because of the grace of God. And Jesus Christ is working on me every single day just like he's working on you. So I'm not trying to put on a show for you at all. And I hate to admit this, but it's true. For the past year and two months, however long we've been here, Alice and I really haven't been on that many dates. And I'm not sitting up here whining or anything like that or complaining. It's not your all's fault. It's our fault. That's on us. Because we moved here and it's a new life. And we had a new house we had to set up. And new job. And new friends. And we left all of our social support from back home. And didn't have our regular babysitters like we used to have. Or family close by. And all that stuff happens. In the past year and two months or so, we've been on less than a handful of dates, just the two of us. And we've missed that. I mean, we were talking about it the other day, how much we've really missed that. And so... A couple weeks ago, we went to a conference um, in Huntington Beach, California. It's a mega church conference. It's a conference for ministers of mega churches. And it was a great conference. I love going to it every year. Really enjoyed it a lot. But it was over the week of Valentine's Day. And so they told us one night during that week, we weren't going to have a session or a workshop. They were just going to have a date night for us and our spouse. And we were so excited to get to do this because we hadn't been on a date in forever. And they hired a band to come in for all these preachers and their wives who were there. And they were going to teach us how to line dance. They catered food. It was supposed to be a special. They even had flowers for the men to give their wives. They had it set up just great. And I just want to tell you, we had an absolute blast. We had so much fun. We hadn't been on a date like that in forever. And Alice and I, we hadn't danced since probably we were in college. Especially, I don't think we've ever line danced. Uh, but we tried to learn, and we were not very good at it because neither of us have rhythm. But we had fun. In fact, Allison was having so much fun that I stepped aside for a second, pulled out my phone, and decided to film her trying to line dance. And I thought you all needed to see this. So she's the one on the far right of the screen. When you look at it, she's in jeans and a white shirt. Take a look at this. I love my wife, I really do, but you know, as I'm filming her do this, I thought to myself, I need to take her out more, I really do. We need to go out more. But in a moment of total transparency, I, I asked her permission before I showed that video, I had to, I asked her permission, and she said, you can show it as long as you don't make fun of me, but you use it for a point. So to prove that I am not making fun of her, I'm not gonna ask my wife to do anything I wouldn't do. Now there's not a video of me dancing yet, but there's about to be, okay? So tech team, if you would, start the music. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. I have no rhythm, okay? 
I think I pulled something, at least pulled my mic out of my pocket. Anyway, okay, enough of that. I only did it to prove a point, and my point is this. We were meant to have fun with our spouse, to continue to get to know them, and yet sometimes we get so busy in life, and it's not that we don't want to have fun with them. It's not that we intentionally want to stop dating. It just kind of happens. We get busy with life, kids, jobs, hobbies, family issues, whatever else, and we just stop pursuing our spouse like we should. Max Lucado once wrote, Satan won't suddenly steal your home from you. He'll do something far worse. He'll paint it with a familiar coat of drabness. He'll replace evening gowns with bathrobes, nights on the town with evenings in the recliner, and romance with routine. He'll scatter the dust of yesterday over the wedding pictures in the hallway until they become a memory of another couple in another time. A healthy marriage, and for that matter, a healthy relationship of any type, requires us to be intentional. It takes work for a marriage to work. Because love is more than a feeling. It's a choice. It's a commitment we make. Now, with that said, before I go any further, give any advice to our couples who are here who are married, I think I need to clarify a couple of things, acknowledge a couple of things. First of all, if you are divorced... I just want to let you know that this sermon is not meant to point the finger at you because sometimes when you hear a message like this that love is a choice, it's a commitment we make, it's easy for someone who's been divorced to say, hey, I didn't keep my commitment or I should have chose to love my spouse better and so there's some guilt and shame that comes along with that. Let me tell you, that is not my point. That is not what I'm trying to do here at all. And if you've been part of a church that has shamed you or ostracized you because you are divorced... Let me just say up front, I am sorry. We are not that type of church. We love you, and like I said earlier, your value is found in Christ, not in your marital status. You are not defined by what you did in the past. You are defined by what Jesus did for you. And so we just want to let you know that up front. And we're glad you're here, and we understand every story is different. It takes two people to get married, but sometimes only one to get divorced. And we've all made mistakes. Maybe you did make some mistakes which led to your divorce. Guys, we've all done that. There's no one in this room who hasn't made some major mistakes in life. We are all covered by the grace of God. We're all in this thing together. We're all just trying to follow Jesus the best we can. So we love you, and I just want to say that. But then there's a second group that I want to talk to before we go any further. See, yes, love is a commitment, but I am in no way saying, I am in no way saying that the commitment that you've made is a reason to tolerate or endure any type of physical abuse in your marriage. Sometimes people will distort a message like this, and they will say, you've got to stay committed to me, even though they're abusing their spouse. You've got to stay committed to me, because that's what the Bible tells you to do. Do not use my sermon for that reason. Do not distort what I'm saying in that way. We just want to let you know That if you are in an abusive relationship, we are here for you, and we love you, and we want you to find safety, and we want you to find help. And if you're someone who is physically abusing your spouse, let me speak to you for a second. That person you're abusing is a child of God, and God will not let the abuse of his sons and daughters go unnoticed. Your days are numbered, and the only... 
The only hope you have is to repent and to find help yourself. So I hate to bring down the mood like that, but I thought it needed to be said. Because I don't want anybody to misconstrue what I'm teaching here. Because marriage does require work. And so now that I've clarified that, we can talk about that for everyone else in in the room. Because I think for us to do the work that is required of us to make our marriages work, I think we need to change some of the questions we ask. A lot of times when people start to go through issues in their marriage, they start to ask questions like, well, what's in it for me? Or what should my spouse do different? And I think as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, which I mentioned a second ago, that passage on marriage or the relationship of a husband and wife in the New Testament, I think that we can put together some different questions that we need to ask that will help us have strong marriages. And the first question is this. Am I doing what I can to model God's love in my marriage? Let me say that again. Am I doing what I can, what I can personally do to model God's love in my marriage? See, in verse 25, which we read earlier, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, we are supposed to model the love of God um, to one another. And that is especially true when it comes to our spouses. But when there's tension in a marriage, what we are quick to do is to point out the other person's flaws, is to point out the other person's faults. And you hear people say, hey, my marriage would be a lot better if he would just do that. Or my marriage would be a lot better if she would just stop doing that. And we're quick to point the finger. In fact, even when I brought up that question, am I doing what I can do to model God's love in marriage? Some of you might be thinking, yeah, my spouse needs to hear that. We're quick to want the other person to model God's love. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is what can you do to model God's love? Because here's the thing. We can't force our spouses to do what's right. We can, just like we can't force anybody to do what's right. But we can focus on our own conduct. Galatians 6 verse 5 says, For we are each responsible for our own conduct. So what are you intentionally doing right now to show God's love in your marriage to your spouse? Remember, we're told in this passage that we are to love as Jesus has loved us. And how does Jesus love us? He shows us grace when we don't deserve it. He sacrificed himself willingly in order to lift us up. He served us when he should have been the one being served. Guys, when you make it your goal in marriage to love your spouse as Jesus has loved you, it will change and transform your marriage. And so it starts with you. Before you ever can expect your spouse to change, you've got to start loving your spouse as Jesus has loved you. Uh, Kyle Ottoman preaches at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He's written a lot of books. You've probably heard of him. But I heard him tell the story a while back about a woman who came to an attorney. He was a Christian lawyer. uh, But she came to this attorney uh, wanting a divorce and wanting to file papers and all that. And so she told him, hey, my husband's just making me miserable, so I've been trying to make him miserable, and I'm going to go ahead and file for a divorce. I just want him to be miserable. And this attorney said, I'll tell you what, why don't you just put the divorce on hold for a second? Why don't you date this paperwork for six months down the road? And if you really want to make him miserable, this is what you do. You see, if you leave right now, he'll be happy because you've been trying to make him miserable, so he'll be happy to see you go. Instead, why don't you go back to him? And why don't you be the wife of his dreams for the next six months? Why don't you show him love like you've never showed him before? Why don't you encourage him every single day? Why don't you support him? Why don't you serve him even though he, don't des- he doesn't deserve it? Why don't you go home and be the wife of his dreams? And then when you file for a divorce six months later, he'll be so depressed it won't even be funny. You'll get him. Then you'll really make him miserable. 
And the woman said, that is genius. That's perfect. And so she went home and she did just that. And six months passed and she came back to the attorney and he said, okay, you ready to file for a divorce? And she said, well, the funniest thing happened. I started treating him better than he deserved to be treated. You know what? That changed him. He started treating me better than I deserved to be treated. We're in love and we don't want to get divorced. Now, I don't know if that's a true story. Kyle told it like it was. I don't know if that's a true story, but I think it makes a pretty good point. See, we have a saying around here, and it's actually our mission statement, to love Jesus and love like Jesus. And I hear some of you guys say that before you drop your kids off to school or before your spouse leaves for the day or whatever, you tell them, make sure you go and love like Jesus today. What if every single morning when you woke up, you made the conscious decision, I'm going to love my spouse as Jesus has loved me? Can you imagine what a difference that would make in your marriage? The second question we need to ask is this, am I making time to pursue my spouse in the way he or she needs to be pursued? If you read on Ephesians 5, verses 20 through 29, it says, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. Here Paul says we're to love our spouses as we love ourselves, as we love our own bodies. And here's the thing. Most of us, we know our own personal needs. Like when we're hungry, we know we need to go with something to eat. When we're tired, we know we probably need to sleep. We get our own needs. But what Paul here is saying is we need to be looking to meet the needs of our spouse. We need to be loving them as we love our own needs. So let me ask you, are you paying attention to your spouse's emotional and physical needs? What are you doing to recognize your spouse's love language? Guys, we are the worst of this. You know, our wife is upset about something or she has some type of need, and what do we do? We go buy her something. And she's thinking, I don't want you to buy me anything. I just want you to listen to me. I just want you to be there for me. Just spend quality time with me. And we think buying her something is going to fix everything. No, she wants us just to listen. And then after we listen, go buy her something. But still, she wants us to listen in the moment and just be there for her. That was a joke. But sometimes we're not paying attention to what the other needs. And so what happens is we become complacent over time. In fact, I read a study the other day that says that most divorces happen between the five and seven year mark of a marriage or the 18 and 23 year mark of a marriage. You know why? That's when complacency sets in. Five to seven years, the newness is worn off, you've had kids by that point, you're at your house settled and you're just not feeling anymore so complacency sets in and you stop pursuing your spouse. Now for those who don't get divorced at that point, they hang on until years 18 to 23 because that's when the kids move out. And then once the kids move out, you've kind of formed your identity around your kids and now you're just two strangers living under the same roof and you don't know each other anymore so the marriage ends. See, what we've got to do is continually pursue our spouse, paying attention to them so that we know exactly what they need and they know what we need and we are fulfilling those needs. And so I want to encourage you to do three things. These three things are not original to me, but I think they're important. First of all, I want to challenge you to encourage each other daily in your marriage. Encourage each other daily. Talk with each other daily. Have intentional times of conversation with each other daily. Can you imagine what your marriage would look like if every single day you woke up and said, I want to encourage my spouse in some way today. I want to find a way to encourage my spouse. So make a commitment to encourage one another daily. Second, date regularly. 
Whether it's every week or every other week, the frequency doesn't matter as long as it is frequent. Date regularly. Stop making excuses because what I have discovered is we find time to do the things we want to do. Date regularly so that you have that time with your spouse to continue to connect with them and get to know them and understand what's going on in their lives. And third, escape annually. Escape yearly. Sometimes we just need to get away. We need to get away from the hustle and bustle of life and all the distractions and just be alone with our spouse so that, again, we can connect with them. And this, is, this third one is something that Alice and I have not done real well, but every time we have this chance to get away, our marriage always comes back stronger. And if you intentionally do these three things, it will change your marriage. And I know what you might be thinking. Well, it's easy for you to say, preacher, with your little perfect marriage. It's easy for you to say, if you think I have a perfect marriage, you don't know Alice and me very well. We love each other deeply. We have a strong marriage, but it is not a perfect marriage. The only reason why our marriage is strong is because we work at it. And it's because we keep God at the center of it. And that leads me to the final question that we need to ask, and it's this. Is my marriage worth fighting for? And the Bible gives us a resounding yes. Ephesians 5 verse 31 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. We've heard that before. That's quoting Genesis chapter 2. Jesus quotes it as well during his ministry, and he goes on to say, What God has joined together, let no one separate. You see, your marriage, you've been brought together by God. God has joined you together. So instead of fighting with one another, fight for one another. Fight for what God has joined together. Can you imagine how much your marriage would improve if you decide instead of fighting with one another that you were going to constantly fight for one another? And one of the keys to fighting for one another is keeping God at the center. See, I talked just a second ago about encouraging each other daily and dating regularly and escaping yearly and all that stuff is important, but there's something that I left out intentionally because I wanted to be its own separate point, separate point of emphasis, and it's this. You need to worship regularly together as a couple. You need to keep God at the center. You need to pray together regularly. You need to serve God together regularly. I read the other day that less than 8% of Christian couples pray out loud together. Less than 8%. But yet, studies show that only 1 in 10,000 couples who pray out loud together will get divorced. Only 1 in 10,000 who pray out loud together on a regular basis get divorced. That is an astounding stat, an astounding number. So worship together, pray together, serve God together. Keep Him at the center of your marriage. Your marriage will be as good as you decide to make it. And that's true for all other relationships as well. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus that had fallen out of love with him. And I want you to notice what he tells them to do. Revelation 2 verse 5. Repent and do the things you did at first. In other words, pursue me like you once did. And I think the advice that Jesus gives to the church at Ephesus when it comes to their relationship with him is the same advice he would give to many of us when it comes to our marriages. Pursue your spouse like you once did. And when I think about the idea of pursuing a spouse regularly and throughout someone's entire life, one name always comes to mind, and it's the name Robertson McCulkin. Robson McCulkin was the president of Columbia International University for years, and he had reached the height of his career. I mean, he had written books, and he was well-known, famous, the president of a university. It was a Christian university, and he was doing a bang-up job, but his wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and so she started to get angry and upset every time that he wasn't around, 
And what he decided to do was to resign his position that he had waited for years to get to in order to take care of her. He had the money to hire a full-time caretaker, but that wasn't enough for her. She would continue to get angry and upset when he wasn't around. So he resigned from his position, and at his going-away party that the school threw for him, he made a speech. And this recording is very old, but it's powerful. Listen to what he said in this speech. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror, and when she can't get to me, there can be anger, She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. I love what he said. It's not that I have to, I get to. Love is a choice. It's a decision of the will. And it has been said, you don't sell a car just because it runs out of gas. And honestly, when you throw in the towel, just because you're not feeling it anymore, it's the same as selling a car because it's out of gas. You can do something about that. You can fill the tank back up. And that's what God wants to do in your marriage right now. Because God believes in your marriage. And he can fill your tank back up. And so if that's what you need today, we ask that you seek him. That you send your marriage on him, around him. And here as a church, we want to support you and help you. So if you want to come talk to one of our staff members or volunteers, we'd be happy to pray with you. We'd be happy to help you find help and support. But don't throw in the towel. Because we believe in your marriage, and God believes in your marriage. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today and for this challenge that we've received from God's word. We know that it's a tough challenge, and it's one that maybe it's hard for some to hear, can make some feel uncomfortable. But Father, we just pray that we listen to what your word teaches us. The marriage takes work, but you're willing to work with us and help us to have strong and healthy marriages. May we turn to you for guidance, for wisdom, for strength. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen.